He is risen. It's still true, right? Every Sunday is Easter here at Park Community Church. Welcome to Easter Sunday. Woo! He is risen. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I need a little help from you this morning. So we're going to finish up our short sermon series around Easter today, talking about the commission, the commission that Jesus gives his followers. And then next Sunday, we will jump back into the book of 1 Corinthians and keep walking through that book. But I need your help to get started this morning, and I'm going to need you to stand when this fits you. And I promise not to call you out or to embarrass you. But if you are more of an analytical person, a question asker, if you like to see things from every angle and really consider all the details, would you stand up for us so we could see? I need to know my audience here. The analytical people, go ahead and stand up. All right, now I know how to judge all of you. Um, You can have a seat. And the action-oriented people, you don't really care about the details, you just want to get moving on. Would you go ahead and stand up for me? Okay, now I know how to properly judge you. You can have a seat. Now, if you've been frustrated with the opposite, would you stand up with me? All of us, right? Ever been in a meeting or a marriage or a friendship with somebody who's analytical and you're action-oriented and you're like, let's go, or vice versa, if you're action-oriented and, and you're with an analytical person, I think I screwed that up. I'm action-oriented, so I've, I'm already lost on the details, but I, I think there's a, there's a reality for all of us, right? If you're an action-oriented person, you tend to step out a little bit too quickly. There's a Proverbs that that says zeal without knowledge is not good. And I think sometimes zealous people, action-oriented people, sometimes we fail to ask too many questions. We fail to ask the right questions. We fail to ask the appropriate questions. Sometimes the analytical people, they, they fail to get things into action. They spend a little too long asking questions, looking at every angle, considering every detail. But we need each other, right? We desperately, desperately need each other. And I think as Christians, as followers of Christ, so I'm primarily going to address Christians this morning. If you're a non-Christian tuning in online or sitting with us, I'm so glad that you're here to explore this adventure of faith with Jesus and to to observe our community in action. Uh, I hope that you pick something up today, but I'm primarily addressing Christians. And I think all of us Christians, we get stuck Whether you're action-oriented or whether you're the analytical type, I think sometimes in our walk with Jesus, we get stuck asking questions rather than living out the commission. Even if you're an action-oriented type of person, sometimes we we, we pause and we, we, we question and we consider and we ponder and we speculate and we become skeptical. Whether it's around like issues of faith, like Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' life, death, resurrection. Like, did this stuff really happen? How does it really apply to my life? Or whether it's around how we work this out. I think sometimes we get stuck questioning the details. Regardless of how you're wired. Stuck questioning the details. I think the last two years, as we've had quarantines and and COVID, and race riots, and political unrest in our world, we get stuck questioning, why is the world this way? Why is God allowing this? What is my role? How should I do this? Some people just run ahead and they start doing stuff without thinking through what their actions are going to produce, and other people never do anything, and they're just questioning, questioning, questioning. But I think for all of us, we can get stuck in this perpetual cycle of questioning rather than living out the commission that Jesus has given us. 
So this morning, I want to look at Luke 24, the entire chapter. It's on page 884 in the Pew Bible. And I want you to jump into a story here, right after Jesus' resurrection, when his disciples, his followers, are stuck questioning They have doubts, they're skeptical, they have frustrations, they feel abandoned, they feel disappointed, they feel dejected, they're questioning the reality of who Jesus was to them, who Jesus was for the world, and and what these events following his death mean. And it moves, this chapter is fascinating because it moves them through their questions into the commissioning that Jesus has given to them and to us. And regardless of what stage you're at in your spiritual faith walk this morning, I want us to jump into this story and see what it looks like for us to move through seasons of questioning and into commissioning, right? And sometimes there's seasons of questioning even in the process of living out our commission. A commission is when somebody lays hands on you and says, go do it, you're ready for the job, go get in action, right? Put this thing into action, Get it done. And so we live, you and I as Christ followers now, we live in the commissioning period. Jesus has said, go and make disciples. And in that period, there are still times and places for questioning. But I want us to watch this journey and and see in this story how Jesus moves us through seasons of questioning into a season of commissioning. And so look at it with me, starting in Luke chapter 24. Verse 1, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, I love that word perplexed, and in the original language here, it it, it means similar to how we use it. It means to be at a loss, to be confused, to, to not understand fully the details These women come to the tomb and they're perplexed because the body of Jesus is gone. Middle of verse 4, it says, Behold, two men stood by in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. He is risen. Come on, church. But remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Here's kind of this first scene in this story that we're entering this morning as we we see how Jesus leads this group of disciples from their questioning into the commissioning. There's there's all these different types of people here in this scene. I I love this. You have have the women who are duty-bound worshipers, right? They're, They're going to the tomb... On, on Sunday, they couldn't go there on Saturday. They, customarily, they would bring spices and things to prepare a body for burial to help preserve the body in the tomb. And they couldn't do it on Saturday because Saturday was the Sabbath, the day of rest for these Jews. And so on Sunday morning, early in the morning, they're heading to the tomb to, to bring Jesus' dead body, these spices and this, give him this proper burial. 
They're duty-bound worshipers. Some of you are probably duty-bound, duty-bound worshipers. Like, if this is the custom, if this is the tradition, if this is the expectation, I'm just going to do it. And these women do that, and they arrive at the tomb, and the tomb is empty, and Jesus' body is gone. And as we know, they're, they're perplexed about this, right? They have questions. What's going on? Why are there angels here in dazzling clothes? Why are these angels talking to me? They're just, they're just perplexed. They don't understand all of the details, right? Jesus' body was there. We saw it put in that tomb. We saw the stone rolled in front of it. We came to prepare his body now, and his body's gone. What is going on? There's these dutiful dutiful worshipers who have questions. And then they, they, they run back after the angel talks to them and they tell the apostles, right, the leaders of the New Testament church what had happened. And many of these men are doubters. Look at verse 11. But these words seem to them an idle tale. They're skeptical. They have their own set of questions. Maybe some of them overlap with the questions of the women who were at the tomb out of duty and were perplexed by what they saw. They bring back word to these men and, and they think this is an idle tale. There's no way this is true. They're skeptical. They have their doubts. And then you have Peter upon hearing it. And, and the Gospel of John tells us that there was another disciple with Peter. Most people believe that it was John himself, they ran to the tomb, look in, and they, they see it empty. They see the linen clothes laying there, and they begin to marvel. It's like this, this worshipful questioning, right? And so in this scene, we have these three different types of people with different questions, different responses. Even though Peter peered in and, and he marveled, he didn't fully believe yet. He had all these questions, but he had some intrigue. I think Peter was more of the adventure type. He's like, I don't know, let's just see what happens. Let's, let's just run on ahead and see what happens. The, the disciples that are sitting back at the home thinking it's an idle tale, they're like, mm, this doesn't add up. I, I, I don't know, this, this, this isn't how life works. Bodies don't just raise from the dead, and we know that the Romans wouldn't let this Jesus character go, go missing. They sealed and guarded that tomb. And so they're wrestling with their questions. Dutiful people, skeptical people, and zealous people all alike. We have questions. And, and please hear me this morning. I'm not saying to, to never question, to never wrestle with, to never probe, to never think, right? There is a time and a place for that. We all do that. What we're going to see as this story moves on is that we need to content, continually and consistently move through our questioning into the commissioning. What I want you to notice here in this first scene is that in the midst of all of their questions, Jesus doesn't offer them answers as much as he offers them his very presence. And we're going to see that as we move from scene one into scene two. So come with me into scene two, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. So they're all in this upper room. Report comes to them that the tomb is empty, that Jesus' body is missing. The angel had told the women that, that his body was raised from the dead. Remember, as he told you, remember Jesus had told them this was going to happen. So it shouldn't have been a surprise to them. But to wrap our minds around miracle, miraculous events, it, it takes some supernatural character, right? We can't wrap our mind around the supernatural using the natural. We need some supernatural inspiration, some supernatural insight to understand the supernatural happenings. And so they're in the upper room. 
Word comes, Jesus has risen from the dead. Peter and John run, and they're marveling, and the others are sitting back, thinking it's an, an idle tale. And now two of the disciples who had heard this report, that same day, they are going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. What a weekend, right? What a week, holy week, Passover week in Jerusalem, from, from Palm Sunday to the Passover celebration and Seder on Thursday, to the crucifixion on, on Friday, to silent Saturday, and now this report on Sunday that Jesus has risen from the dead. And so they're talking about this, verse 15. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. This is so fascinating. Jesus is now walking with these two disciples. It says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. People will go to great lengths to try and understand verse 16. Some people say it's so early in the morning they couldn't quite recognize him. But then that leaves the question of like, well, what about his voice? Like, wouldn't they have recognized his voice? Because in another gospel account, we know that Mary recognized him when he spoke. And so here's what I want you to know. Don't spend your life trying to figure out verses like verse 16. It, it, it's fun to think about and to ask some questions, but sometimes we get stuck spinning our wheels on verses like this and we miss the big picture. I happen to think that it was a supernatural veiling of their eyes, that they didn't quite recognize Jesus just yet because he had a better, greater moment to reveal his true identity to them. But people disagree. doesn't really matter. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. In verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Their friend had just died. The one that they had put their hopes in to be their savior, their Messiah, to be the redeemer of Israel. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And remember, Jerusalem, it blew up from about 40,000 people to about 240,000, 250,000 people in this week, Passover week. So there's all these visitors to the holy city for Passover week, and everybody knows what has happened to this Jesus of Nazareth. And they're like, hey, are you the only one who hasn't heard? Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? <laughs> Jesus if you ever want to, like, grow in your conversational skills, just start asking questions. That's what Jesus does. What things? Oh, he knows. He's the one who was crucified. This whole conversation is about him. What things? Tell me, guys. I don't know. Is he just being sarcastic with them? Like, he's keeping them from supernaturally veiling their eyes so they don't recognize him, and then he's just, like, dangling the Twinkie in front of them. What things? I want to hear you guys explain it to me. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Their hopes were on this political conqueror, this political king, this one who would rule from top down and, and straighten out the Romans and straighten out the corrupt religious Jewish system. And so their hopes were dashed when Jesus was lifted upon the Roman cross at the hand of the corrupt religious rulers. Guess what? Reminder for us, Jesus didn't come to clean up the political situation or even the religious institution. He came to give, give, give new life to those who would place their faith in him. And so let's keep going with this. 
We had hoped that he would redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it was now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And remember, their entire faith, the entire Old Testament, the entire left half of our book, but to them it was their only book, was pointing to this Messiah. And there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And so he's saying, oh, oh, oh foolish ones, oh, slow of heart, you've heard it time and time and time and time again. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all, in all the scriptures of the things concerning himself. So he's taking all of that Old Testament prediction and prophecy and context that they knew, all that the prophets had taught, and, and he's showing them how they point to Jesus as the Messiah. And, and they're listening on this walk to Emmaus. So when they drew near to the village to which they were going, they've got a, a seven-mile walk. It's a good amount of time for Jesus to explain to them. And they're drawing near. He acted as if he were going further. I don't know. What, it's just fascinating, right? The humanity of Jesus in his interactions with his disciples. He acted like he was going further. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And there's some kind of intrigue to Jesus. Remember, they don't recognize who he is yet. They think he's a visitor who didn't know what happened to Jesus. And then Jesus begins to explain to them how this Jesus of Nazareth was the fulfillment of all this Old Testament prophecy. They still don't realize he's that guy. But they're intrigued. Like, this guy has some kind of teaching, some kind of knowledge he, he's not asking the same questions that we're asking. He has some answers. And, and again, like I said, it's not even about answers. It's about presence. There's this guy with us that we want to be around, right? They strongly urge him, stay with us. They wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted his presence. This, this person had this aura about him. He had this way about him. He asked questions. He, he, he looked people in the eyes. He communicated in such a way that they wanted to be with him. They say, stay with us, for it is towards the evening and the the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. This is the moment that Jesus chooses to reveal his identity to these disciples in the breaking of the bread. Is that amazing? Jesus cares about physical presence with his disciples. He cares about these rhythms of remembrance that had been set up through the Old Testament. This Passover meal, it was a rhythm of remembrance where the, where the people of God would remember being delivered out of Egypt by having this Passover meal. And remember on Thursday night, Jesus sat with these disciples and as they're doing this rhythm of remembrance, as they're having this Passover meal together, he says, as often as you do this, eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me. 
And then he goes to the cross. He's crucified. He rises from the dead. He's walking on the road with these disciples, keeping their eyes from seeing him. And now he sits at table with them, breaks bread, and their eyes are opened, and they see him. The presence of Jesus, the personhood of Jesus, the personal touch of Jesus helps move us through our questioning into our commissioning. We're not done. We have to keep going with the story. And they said to one another, didn't, this is verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed. He is risen. There we go, a little better. And has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Just fascinating thing that, the, that these disciples here, there's, there's something in the, the burning of, look at verse 32, it says, and they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures to us? Part of what moves us from our questions into the commission is this, this burning that happens. And it says in their hearts, in scripture, the heart and the head, they're seen as like an organ that works together. It's not just head knowledge and it's not just feelings from the heart, but it's both of these. So when they say that, didn't we feel burning our hearts? They were, they were engaged intellectually in this conversation with Jesus, but also there was some kind of emotional attraction to Jesus and draw to Jesus. There was some kind of burning inside of them. It was this burning of the presence of the Lord, this burning of learning about the things of God, this head and heart connection, this compassion, this, this desire to know more, but then also the physical breaking of the bread with Jesus that helps to quell their questions and turn their questions into living out this commission. That's scene two. Now let's move into scene three. And as they were talking about these things, so remember, they're back now with all the disciples. They're all together talking about these things. Jesus had, had disappeared. Now they're all together, and Jesus himself stood among them. He shows back up, and he said to them, peace to you. Remember, peace. It's a reine. It's wholeness. It's completeness. Jesus comes to offer peace in his presence, wholeness and completeness. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Oh, foolish ones, how slow of heart. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself? Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, and, and this is a fascinating verse to me, verse 41, they still disbelieved for joy. Um, I like how a couple other translations translate this a little bit better, but it, it, it's, it's that, that moment of like, I'm so wowed by what has just happened. I, 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 like, I, I doubt, yet I believe at the same time, right? Like, some of you have, have experienced cancer, and you've gotten a cancer-free diagnosis after fighting it for years. That's disbelief for joy. It's like, I, I have a friend who was diagnosed with cancer a year ago, given a 10% chance to make it, and just last week diagnosed cancer-free. Joy for disbelief 
They're, they're, they're not sure. It's like this, again, the head and the heart, this emotional, like you can't stop trying to emotionalize your way into the kingdom of God and stop trying to rationalize your way into the kingdom of God. You need both. There's this weird convergence of the two. And they're disbelieved for joy and they're marveling. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they, give, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. I just love that humanity. Jesus sits and he eats with his disciples. He shares bread and they recognize him in the breaking of bread in scene two and now in scene three he's like, well, I need some protein too. Let's eat some fish, right? He can't live on bread alone. Actually, Jesus says he can't live on bread alone but by every word of God. But a physical body also needs protein. You need your fish. And so he sits, he eats. Verse 44, and then he said to them, this is where we're moving now fully from the, the questions, the, the perplexing nature of these events into the commission that Jesus gives them to go. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Again, everything in the left side of our book points to him. He's the fulfillment Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Again, part of how we move from questioning into commissioning is God opening up our minds, opening up our hearts, supernaturally allowing us to recognize him and to understand his word. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day arise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And that would jump us to Acts chapter 1, where the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples the day of Pentecost, giving them the gift of the Holy Spirit and propelling them into mission, to live out this commission that Jesus gives them. Verses 50 through 53 remind us of the day when Jesus ascended. It says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And so we see in this story all of these different questions that different disciples had, all wired differently. All all needed a little something different from Jesus. All had a little different skepticism about the resurrection and about what it meant for them. And Jesus comes to them and it's not just his answers to their questions that moves them into the commissioning. It's his presence among them. Now I wanted us to just enter this story and see how Jesus comes. And I, and I really wrestled with if I should distill it into like a couple takeaways from you because I'm I'm kind of becoming sick of like four-point takeaway sermons or three-point takeaway sermons, but I distilled it for you into four points. (laughs) And so as we look at this passage, I think we see these, it's, it's, it's more nuanced and mysterious than just like four points, right? 
all of our journey, all of our story, Jesus showing up to us at different times, in different ways, walking with us in the midst of our questions, walking with us in the midst of our sufferings, walking with us in the midst of our doubt, reminding us of the commission, empowering us to go out and make disciples in his name, empowering us to embrace this truth that he shared with us at the end of the chapter, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. It's different for all of us, right? And so I'm hesitant to give you these four, but I, I think they're general enough. And, and I, though you type A people, you probably need a little bit more. So here we go. You type B people, you've got it. You get, you're good. You get the story. Let's go on adventure now. You type A people, like give me a few more details. So here we go. Here are the details. Here's some components in this story that help us to move from questioning to commissioning. It's remembering, it's encountering, it's repenting, and it's receiving. Look at how in, the, in scene one, if you remember, verse six, the angels say to the women, he is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you. Remember he had told you specifically that on the third day he would rise. And then verse eight, it says, and they remembered his words. Part of the way that you and I move through our doubts, move through our frustrations, move through our questions into the commission that God has given us to go and make disciples, to proclaim him to the nations, is to remember what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done. That's why we gather every Sunday at Park Community Church to remember the words of Jesus and to remember what Jesus has done in our place on our behalf. If you're stuck in a season of questions and doubts, remember what Jesus has said and remember what Jesus has done and find a community that would help you to remember. Sunday morning gatherings is one experience of that, but we have groups gathering together in homes throughout the week and coffee shops and restaurants to remember what Jesus has said and done. It's a key component for us to move from questioning into our commissioning. Secondly, encounter. And we're all going to encounter Jesus a little bit differently, right? Unfortunately, most people that I know haven't had broiled fish with Jesus, with his physical body. Yet. We will someday. The scriptures tell us about this marriage supper of the lamb when there's this incredible spread. I'm tempted to think there will be steak rather than broiled fish, but that's neither here or there. Um, and we will eat a meal with Jesus, but you and I, most of us, haven't encountered Jesus in the same way that the disciples did here in Luke chapter 24. This is a descriptive text, meaning it's describing to us what happened here. Is that a prescriptive text saying that every time you walk to Emmaus, Jesus is going to show up? None of, most of you probably haven't walked to Emmaus. In fact, I know a few people who have walked the same road, and Jesus didn't show up to them and ask them these questions. This is descriptive of what happened for them, but it's a reminder that all of us, as we move, as we want to move from questions to the commissioning, we have to encounter the risen Jesus. There's this supernatural encounter with God in his word. The way that the disciples said that, didn't our hearts burn within us while we were on the road and he opened up the scriptures to us? Part of how we move from questions to the commissioning is that when we listen to the word of God, when we read it, when we listen to sermons, when we, when we discuss it together in smaller groups, we're encountering Jesus' word being taught over and over again. And it's a way to remember, but it's also a way to encounter. When we gather and we sing worship songs to King Jesus, it's a way for us to encounter. It's a, where, it's a way for hopefully our head and our hearts to burn within us 
as he opens up his word to us. And then we also encounter him in the breaking of bread. When we gather on Sundays and we take communion, that's a way for you to encounter Jesus. But then when you scatter and go into each other's homes and lives and have shared meals and extended time together, and you talk about your struggles, you talk about your doubts, you talk about your fears, and then you remind one another of who Jesus is, and you break bread together in your homes, this is a way that we encounter Jesus. Amen? How many of you have encountered Jesus just as powerfully around a dinner table as you have from a pulpit? I hope a few of you. Good. This is, this is what we do. This is how we move through our questions into the commissioning. And, and then we repent, move into scene 3, verse 46. And Jesus said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day arise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. We are recipients but as far away from Jerusalem as he can be, who have received this good news proclamation that there is repentance for the forgiveness of your sins. And so we move from our questioning into the commissioning by remembering to repent, to turn, to, to change our way, to change our mind. If we remember what Jesus did and said, repenting means asking for forgiveness, repenting of what we have said and done or what we have failed to say and do so we remember what jesus has said and done and we repent of what we have said and done and then lastly we receive we receive the forgiveness of sins right it says in repentance for the forgiveness of sins that should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations and this is now our job this is our commissioning to go out and to proclaim to all the nations of the world who jesus is and what jesus has done we all proclaim a little bit differently some of you do it with words better than you do with actions. Well, I, I don't want to say that um, because that gives too much room for hypocrisy, right? Well, I talk about it, but I don't do it. And then some of you are like, well, I really like to do the things with Jesus, but I don't like to talk much about Jesus. I, I, some people are more gifted and natural with words, and other people are more gifted and natural with acts of service, but they don't preclude one another. We need them, right? And this is how we proclaim Jesus, by what we say and what we do. This is our commission to proclaim in his name to all the nations that there's forgiveness and repentance of sin. And you are witnesses of these things. And then verse 49 reminds us that this last aspect of moving from questioning to the commissioning is to receive. He says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And again, Acts chapter 1 shows us that the Holy Spirit comes down the day of Pentecost and, and he encourages the church and he overwhelms the church with the presence of God through the Holy Spirit of God. And this is the ultimate way that we move from questioning into the commissioning. Church family, we have the Holy Spirit. We don't have to stay stuck in our doubts and our fears and our questions and our apathy and our disappointment and our disillusionment. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Power from on high has been granted to you and I. And so let's get after it, right? Analytical question askers, let's get after it. Let's get after it, people. Let's get after it, right? But we need each other. And we need each other as we walk through this journey of remembering, encountering, repenting, and receiving. And so this morning, I want us to remember what Jesus has said and done 
I want us to encounter him together as we remember him. I want us to repent together for whatever you need to be repenting of and then receive together, again, communion as a reminder of who Jesus is and what he's done and a reminder that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. So if you are a follower of Jesus, there's communion elements there in the pew in front of you, and I'd like to take you, I'd like to invite you to take communion with me. Be careful. These new communion cups are a little bit rough. I don't want you to get juice on your blouse. Um, so be careful opening that. Peel back that top layer and listen to me how Luke records Jesus having this meal with his disciples. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. And likewise, after they had eaten, he took the cup and he said, this cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. And he passed the cup around and said, take and drink this together for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's drink together. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Lord, help us to remember what you have said and what you've done. I pray that we may encounter you, Lord, in supernatural ways and in natural ways. Lord, as we have shared meals with brothers and sisters in Christ, and also as we look at your word, I pray that we would encounter you in both the burning of our hearts and the breaking of the bread. Lord, may we be a people who are constantly repenting of where we fall short and then receiving your perfection in the gift of your spirit. Lord, may you do in us what you will for your glory, for our good, in the advancement of your gospel, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.